0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. How could a loving God... Yes, how could a loving God... You say, well, that's not a complete sentence. You're right, it isn't. You fill in the blank. How could a loving God... How could a loving God allow someone to pass from this life at a very early age. How is it that a loving God could allow a pastor father to back his car over his two-year-old son accidentally and experience the demise of that two-year-old son? How could loving parents experience the loss of a child who drowned in their pool? How could a loving God allow these things to happen? And why did my friend, my relative, my parent have that stroke that just completely, completely destroyed their ability to function and enjoy life? Why does God allow these things? And if these things are happening and there's no answer, is there a God? Isn't that really the question that people come up with? How could God, if there is a God, allow such pain and such suffering? How could he allow allow five college students, Christian college students, on their way home from Bible college to be killed by a drunk driver? What good is that? What does it accomplish? And how about a fellow by the name of John the Baptist, who apparently from his birth was announced to be a great presenter of the gospel to prepare the way of the Lord. And after just six months of ministry, an ungodly king, Herod, took off his head. Could a loving God allow these kinds of things to happen? And of course, we know about Job as well. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to be confronting this issue. Our guest today calls it the Divine Dilemma. Ken Ham, joining us again on Viewpoint many, many times over the past 28 and a half years. Ken, it's good to have you back on the program.
1: Hey, Chuck, it's uh, great to be with you, and uh, I love to talk about topics to help Christians think from a biblical worldview and what God says about things, so we have answers. That's why our ministry is called Answers in Genesis.
0: Well, can any real answers and hope come from down under a place like Australia where they uh, fed all of the uh, the uh, people from prisons, the the uh, criminals, and so on, to inhabit Australia. How could any good answers come from Australia?
1: Well, you know, I could say that our founding fathers had great convictions, but they were convictions of a different sort. <laughs> uh, but but you but if you've got the right parents who love the Lord, uh-huh. even in a pagan country, yeah, and a father who who stands on God's Word as the spiritual head of the house and they train their children in God's Word and to defend the Christian faith, uh, then yes, good answers could come.
0: All right, so you have presented us with a very, very fine and encouraging book here today that I think will help an awful lot of people uh, to deal with this issue. Quite frankly, just yesterday, I had a, a listener call me uh, somewhat in a panicked state, talking about the death of a relative, actually a parent. And uh, the person had been so close with that parent, it was almost like a symbiotic relationship. And the issue was, now what do I do? Where's the value of my life? I can't get on with anything. I've lost my parent. Now what am I going to do? And uh, one could wonder from that, well... How would God allow such a thing to happen, to take away my precious parent like that? And yet the Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, all of us. So why do we have this dilemma?
1: Well, uh, we could talk about that for a long time. You know, this is a question that's been you know, dealt with um, over and over again down through the ages. It's a question people have. Christians have this question. I mean, the issue of death and suffering and a loving God. How how can we how can we mesh those two together? And non-Christians, of course, uh, use it as an as one of their you know hits against Christianity. You say there's a loving God, but mm-hmm. look, we see people dying of cancer and people dying in horrible ways and and things happening that you know from your perspective just don't seem fair at all. And you know, um, before I even start to, to answer that in, in the foundational way that it needs answering. You know, just following on from the example that you gave there of someone calling in, you know, you could think of uh, Queen Esther. I mean, mm-hmm. probably the same thing was said about Esther as a child. You know, she lost her parents. Can you imagine them saying, you know, wh- why would God allow that? This person mm-hmm. has lost their, their parents. Good
0: now. point.
1: She's all alone, maybe an orphan, What? Uh, you know, not, not even you know, others to care for her or whatever, and then her uncle looked after her and that sort of thing. But yet God used all those circumstances to bring her to a point of being a famous queen who saved an entire group of people. So, you know, God is in charge of all these circumstances anyway. But, all right, so, the we...
0: so if, if God allows, in fact, actually designs suffering uh, for a purpose... Then is God some sort of a a uh, kind of a thing, or a, a sadist that he is going to uh, use other people's suffering to accomplish his purposes?
1: Well, we've got to look at it look at it in the right way. We can't just look at the suffering we see today and say, "Now, how do we fit that with the Bible?" Uh, in fact, you know, one of the things that I say to people is, we've got to understand first of all what the Bible is. The Bible is not just a guidebook for life. The Bible is not just a book you add to your thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you truly understand the Bible, it's a revelation from God who knows everything. We don't. We hardly know anything. We, in fact, compared to God, we know next door to nothing. Well,
0: now, wait a, a minute, Ken. God. You built the ark. You must know an awful lot, much like Noah back then. You're righteous in your generation. You must know an awful lot if you built the ark out there in Kentucky.
1: Well, we started from God's word and He gave us dimensions and so we're able to use that to build the ark and there that's you my go. point. You've you've got to start from the Word of God. He does exactly. everything to build our thinking. And so, you know, over the years like people often ask me questions like, How do you fit death and suffering with a loving God? How do you fit the dinosaurs with the Bible? Mm-hmm. And my point is you don't fit anything with with God. You don't fit anything with the Bible You use the Bible to build the right way of thinking, to have a true biblical worldview, to understand the world. And the first thing we need to understand is God didn't make this world to be a world of death and suffering. He made it a perfect world. Everything was very good. There was no Mm -hmm. death or disease or suffering, no thorns. But the first man, Adam, rebelled against God, and God warned that if you eat the fruit of this tree in other words if you disobey god if you don't obey god's word you will surely die and because adam disobeyed god that's called sin and that changed everything that's why in the new testament romans 8 tells us that the whole of creation groans now because of adam's sin. and so the thing we need to understand is the death and suffering we see in today's world is not god's fault it's our fault because we sinned against a holy god but even in a fallen world, God uses all those circumstances uh, for good. Yeah. And that's the thing we need to
0: remember. All right. And that's what we're going to talk about for the balance of the program. It's The Divine Dilemma, friends. It's a hardbound book, uh, a $20 book. Yours for 18 It's on our uh, website, saveus.org, saveus.org. It's going to attempt to answer some of those questions. I think you're going to find the perspective extremely refreshing and helpful. We'll be right back. Is it God's dilemma or is it ours as we look at the problem of suffering and loss in our world? I don't know about you, friends, but, uh, I've lost both of my parents. All of my, all of my aunts and uncles are gone. Two of my siblings are gone. That is lost their lives, both through cancer. I alone, together with one sister, remain. And you say, well, what?" I thought there were five children. There were. And the other sibling has been lost to the family because he chose to completely leave and abandon his family. So he's abandoned the Lord. There's a lot of pain and suffering in that abandonment. And why would God allow these things to happen? And how could that happen in a single family? How is it possible that in a family that was raised up in a pastor's home, went to church, sang the hymns, how is it possible that only three of them would embrace Christ and two would not? We don't understand these things, do we? Our special guest today, Ken Ham, with his book, Divine Dilemma. Uh, Is this God's dilemma, or is it ours, Ken?
1: Well, it's not God's dilemma. Uh, We created the dilemma, and God provided the solution to our dilemma. That's the way of looking at it. There
0: you go. And you know what? You talked about uh, worldview, and that's the very common word to use. But I wonder if really that's the most accurate word to use. I think our problem is our God view.
1: Well, our our worldview should be our God view. (laughs) It should be (laughs) God's view. Um, Right. Because there's only two views, ultimately. It's man's view and God's view. There you go. uh, All our thinking has to be built on what God says. And (laughs) You know, what what I did in um, uh, Divine Dilemma is to really uh, look at a real personal example, because I think there's a lot of books written about death and suffering and they sort of something can be super spiritual and uh-huh. you know well that's the way it is god's in control sort of you know right. just live with it you know trust god you know that's it
0: or but some can come is, across kind of theoretical too well that that's, that's yeah true. that's what the bible says but what you've done is couch this whole thing in the context of your own agonizing situation first with your kid brother
1: Yes, and following through with us as a family, and particularly my mother, was a very godly woman. Uh, I mean, she lived till she was uh, almost ninety two years old. She uh-huh. passed away in two thousand and nineteen. And she had to deal with the death of my father when he was sixty six. She lived for twenty six years without him, seven years to the day after my father died, my young younger brother, uh, one of six uh, of us, actually, mm-hmm. uh, so I had five siblings, uh, six of us all together. Um, My younger brother, who was a great Bible-teaching pastor, loved the Lord, stood on God's Word, totally stood with us in our ministry at Anson Genesis, and he uh, had a young family, but he died at a very young age of a horrible, dehumanizing brain disease over a period of two years. It was Mm. awful. Mm. And, you know, people could look at that and and say, why would God allow that? I mean, we need more Bible teachers, not less. Right? It doesn't make sense. From a human perspective, but we know nothing compared to God. It doesn't make sense. And even my mother would cry out in anguish and say, it doesn't make sense. The liberal pastor down the street that doesn't believe the Bible teaches against the miracles, he's as healthy as an ox. And yet, look what happened to my son. And mm-hmm. why would why would this happen? And, you know, I we would talk about it and I would say things like, well, Mum, you know, um, the liberal pastor down the street going to die one day too because everyone's going to die. But the point is not... Why did someone die? Uh, that's not the point at all. We should be asking, why death? None of us deserve to even exist. I mean, mm-hmm. we in Adam committed high treason against the God of creation. And so everyone's going to die. The thing is, my brother Robert, he's now totally healed. He's out of this sin cursed universe and uh, he's with the Lord. Whereas a liberal pastor, he's going to face the Lord one day. And if he mm-hmm. hasn't trusted Christ for salvation, he'll suffer a second death, which is eternal separation from God. So, We've got to look at it from the perspective of foundation, starting with Genesis. You, the, we can't ignore what's the origin of death. The origin of death is because of our sin. God placed upon us the curse of death. But, but I, I, I also explain to people do you realize if God hadn't have done that, well, then we couldn't be saved? Because True. in placing upon us the judgment of death, he then said, I'm going to come and pay the penalty for you. In fact, in Genesis 3.15, it's really a summary of the whole Bible. It's a summary of the Gospel. Mm-hmm. And and He promised a Savior who would come, who died on a cross, raised from the dead, and offers a free gift of salvation. So because of death, He is able to save us from our sins so that we can come back to be with Him. Rather than living in our sinful state for eternity, He wants us to spend eternity with Him, which is why... It also says in the Proverbs, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Would mm-hmm. say, Why is death precious? And my mother and I discussed this. Why is death precious? Because if you're a Christian, it is precious. Because then when you die, you go to be with the Lord, and you depart from this sin-cursed universe and the groaning daily of the effects of the fall, and you get to be with the Lord for eternity. Now, that's precious, and it's precious to God, because... That relationship between us and our God was broken 6,000 years ago in the Garden when Adam, the head of the whole human race, when Adam rebelled against God, now we're fallen. Now that relationship is broken. And you know, I remind people, when you're at a funeral, and I've already been to a couple this year, it seems the older I get, the more funerals I go to. But I was at a funeral, and you feel the separation between you and that loved one. Mm Well. It's a far greater separation between us and our God. That's what we've got to be reminded of. And, and look at what, what our sin has done. But then we have to look at the fact that God stepped into history to save us yeah. from what we did. So we've got to look at it from that perspective, first of all.
0: Exactly. And uh, this does not deny that uh, as human beings we would have uh, emotional responses to someone passing, someone losing their life, or even uh, to someone losing their life Untimely and in a very painful or agonizing way. Uh, if we did not have that, we would not be compassionate people. We would be virtu- We would be even worse than the animals because at least lots of them seem to have more compassion than a lot of people these days.
1: Well, you know, and you're exactly right. And that's one of the problems I have with some of the books that deal with this issue. What I wanted to do was to make this very personal. Personal about our, uh, you know our own family about my mother, my godly mother. She never ever questioned her faith. But you know what? She grieved and she asked questions and she struggled. I don't know why God would do this. It doesn't make sense. Why would he take my my son? You know, why why take her husband at such a young age? He was such a great Bible teacher as well. And 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 he and he raised up his family to love God and to stand on God's word. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I want people to understand is it's okay to grieve. We're humans. We can ask those questions. And it, it, it's okay to struggle with all of that. But even through all of that, I, my mother, and our family had to come to realize, nonetheless, we have got to get to that place, really the place that Job got to. Because, you know, a lot of people uh, say, I thought the book of Job was all about dealing with death and suffering and answering the question. And many people have said, but it doesn't answer the question. But it does. It does answer the question. Because when when job you know first of all uh we know a little bit behind the scenes that job didn't know about the devil coming to god and so on Mm -hmm. and we know he was allowed to inflict him which he did and you know uh, and, and his children died and he lost his property and then he was inflicted with disease horrible boils and so on and so you know his friends gave him advice which wasn't very good advice and his wife even even gave him bad advice and and then he wanted to sort of justify himself before God. and I mm-hmm. think that's something we should look at. We often say, God, this, wh- why, why did this happen to me? This doesn't seem right. Job sort of wanted to justify himself. And then, then God, and, and, and because of who he is, he says, Job, I want you to listen to me. And then in Job 38, 39, 40, 41, and then into 42, we have God asking Job all sorts of questions and telling Job all sorts of things. It's interesting, the emphasis, too, in those chapters... Is on God as Creator, mm-hmm. you know. And Job, do you know how this happened? And you know this, and can you can you explain this? And can you say this to the lightning? And do you know what holds these stars in place? And what about this? And why did God do that? You know, were were you there when I laid the earth? Did you see me doing that? You know, uh, and the reason God did that was to get Job to do exactly what he did. And this is the position all of us have to get to. We have mm-hmm. to get to this. Really, in, in life in general, in every area. Right. And Job said to God, uh, I, I now see you for who you are. Uh, you know all things, and I repent in dust and ashes. In, in
0: other, other words, words, he had to come to the place where he recognized that God really is God. Let God. And be that's God. what Israel never could come to grips with. Over and over and over again, he says, especially through Isaiah, he said, I am God and there is none other. What is it about that you don't understand? I am God and there is none other. Uh, Think, for instance, uh, by way of illustration about God's purposes and so on that we don't understand. For instance, back in the 50s, we have the historical uh, picture of five missionaries going down to Ecuador uh, to minister to the ungodly Uh, pagan Aka Indians, and uh, they are summarily speared through, destroyed. Okay, that's the end of the story, right? No, that wasn't the end of the story. In fact, a saint said, he who's no fool to give up that which he cannot say or keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Well, as a result of that, ultimately, Elizabeth Elliot goes down there and a couple of the other wives, and ultimately the Aki Indians embrace Jesus Christ. (laughs) Go figure. God had a purpose, apparently, that was completely unknown to those five husbands that lost their lives. But the women resolved all of that, seeing there was salvation in in God's mind and heart from the get-go. And you know
1: what, Chuck? Can I add to that? And sure. To add to that, and now in 2023, there is an exhibit in the Ark Encounter, and the Ark Encounter opened in 2016. There is an exhibit in the Ark Encounter on the third deck about famous people who God used and used their circumstances mm-hmm. to impact the world with God's Word and the Gospel and the account of of that particular story is in that exhibit and Hmm. talking about those indians and elizabeth elliott and so Uh on right and so and so and and there's been books written about it sure and the interesting thing is maybe in their death not only did that lead to god using circumstances to bring those indians to christ but to use that example around the world over many, many years to impact others, to challenge others, to challenge others, to take the gospel to others. Mm-hmm. See, you know, one of, one of the things I talk about in the book, too, is that you know people have often said this, that life is, is, is like a tapestry. Mm-hmm. And if you, you look at a tapestry, if you look on the back, you see all these threads going in all sorts of directions, right. this way and that way and so on. It, it just looks a mess. And really, when we look at the world sometimes I think we we're looking at the underside of the tapestry mm-hmm. but if you look at look at it from God's perspective you turn it over there's a beautiful pattern because God is in control and yep. even though we rebelled against him he is in control and he, he is God and he can do anything and there's nothing that uh, that happens that he is is not in charge of or in control of, because he is the creator God. And you're right, that's what he reminded the people of Israel about. In fact, all through the Old Testament, you know, you talk about false gods, and then God says, but but I am the creator. You know, what's the difference between the true God and the false gods? He is the creator. He created all things. And, you know, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah uh, we read that over and over again, too. You know, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator uh, of everything. And so we as finite human beings have to understand, in a fallen world, we are not above the effects of sin and the curse and the the judgment of death. That's why it says, and you start off with this, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment, which reminds you, death is not the end of all things. Right. Uh, Because what's going to happen after death? The judgment. And those who who don't trust Christ for salvation. The Bible talks about a second death, which is eternal separation from God. And so that's why I say to people that if you're born twice, born as a human, and born of the Spirit of God, that you're you're a born-again Christian, you only die once physically. But if you're not born twice, you die twice. Right.
0: All right. The book, Friends, Divine Dilemma. Uh, There's so much that Ken opens up in this book, a very personal uh, book, uh, that also applies so many of these principles, not all of which we're going to be able to get to today. But uh, I hope you'll get a copy that it. will be encouraging to you $18 on our website, saveus.org.
2: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind.
0: Years ago, Newsweek magazine came out with a feature article dealing with the life of Charles Darwin. You know, the one that came up with the uh, origin of man and uh, evolution. Well, in this secular Newsweek uh, article, uh, they concluded that Charles Darwin actually said that he knew when he came up with the origin of species and evolution that he was murdering Christianity. That's Charles Darwin. But what about Charles Darwin? He grew up going to church. And he had a daughter named Anna, or Annie, and unfortunately, Annie died. And Darwin couldn't handle it. Her cruel death, destroyed Charles Darwin's, whatever rele- uh, remnant of faith he had, he put that to death. And he would say that this period claimed the final death nail for his Christianity. Why? Because he couldn't explain his daughter's death. Well, the same thing happened with another guy, very famous. You may have known about this fellow, but you might know him more by the acronym CNN. CNN, the founder, Ted Turner, very wealthy man, very bitter. Here's what the New York Times said. Turner is a strident non-believer, having lost his faith after his sister Mary Jane died of a painful disease. He said, I was taught that God was love and God was powerful. But he said, I couldn't understand how someone so innocent should be made or allowed to suffer so. So Turner turned against God and became very bitter. And his bitterness, as the scripture says, invaded the lives of many and continues to do so to this very day through his so-called news agency. It's true. Today on Viewpoint, we're answering or attempting to respond at least to this uh, dilemma Uh, Ken Ham, our guest today, calls it the divine dilemma uh, concerning whether, how how could a loving God allow such devastating things to take place? Even to so called good people. How could bad things happen to good people if God is loving? Well, uh, we can understand how God would allow bad things to happen to bad people, Ken. But it's harder for us to understand how bad things can happen to good people, isn't it?
1: Well, that's where we have to understand this from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. And again, if we don't have God's Word as our foundation, we're not going to have the right understanding here. And so, first of all, there are no good people. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Mm. Uh, There's none that seeks after God. I mean, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked.
0: Who could know it?
1: (laughs) Who can know it? Yes. The point is we have to understand that there are no good people. We're all sinners, and that means we're all deserving of the judgment of death because death is the penalty for sin. And so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, People like Ted Turner and others you know, they say, how can they be a loving God because of all the death and suffering in the world? They're looking at the world, and they're saying, really what they're saying is, if there's a God, how can He create a world like that? But He didn't create a world like that. Mm-hmm. That's why you've got to look through God's Word and let God's Word speak to you. Because if God's, if you understand God's Word, you realize, wait a minute, this is my fault. But they don't want to take responsibility. You know, right. we've got that sin nature, and and we're just like Adam. And Eve, we don't want to take responsibility for our sin. If you remember, you know, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. We don't want to take that responsibility. Mm-hmm. But by one man sin into the world and death by sin, and so death came upon all men. We Romans 5.12, we have to understand, that, you know, it's our fault, not God's fault. And, you know, from a non-Christian perspective, this is the interesting thing. There are many non-Christians who would say there can't be a love of God because if there is, he's unjust. Wait a minute. If you're not a Christian, how do you determine what's just and what's not? What's mm-hmm. your basis for exactly for, for justice? You have no foundation. Uh,
0: you, it's just your whim.
1: Yep, you no absolute foundation, and therefore you can't accuse God of being unjust. And so, therefore, you know, as as you think about these issues, um, for for the Christian, we we understand that hey, God is just. And he made a very good world, but we messed it up. So now we're living in a fallen world. Hmm. You know, it, it, and that's where we have to be careful, because a lot of times I think Christians give the wrong idea. I think even a lot of churches haven't taught things correctly, and I find a lot of books and children's books don't teach things correctly. Yeah, because how many right. times do I see children's books that say, God made this beautiful world we live in? And then they, they look out there and say, but it's not a beautiful world. People die, people get diseases people suffer people kill each other this it's not a beautiful world and that's why we need to be teaching from the foundational history in Genesis God didn't make this world as it is he made the original world perfect which is suffering from the effects of sin and the judgment of death and the curse on the ground and the judgment of uh, the flood of Noah's day uh, the judgment of the Tower of Abel we're living in a world that's gone through particular events in history, and unless you believe and understand those events, you won't understand the world today. And it's interesting, you mentioned Charles Darwin and his daughter Annie, and in one of the biographies written about Charles Darwin, it says, any vestige of belief in God left him after his daughter Annie died. And mm-hmm. what's fascinating to me is PBS did a series on evolution, I think it was a 13-part series, and in one of those parts, it was all about Darwin, and they pictured Darwin and his family going to church, and they're in the ch- they're in the yard outside the church, and and there's a graveyard there. You know, a lot of those older churches had graveyards right, sure. right there beside the church, and it, it, so this is the way PBS portrays it. So Darwin's wife and other children go inside the church. Darwin stays out. He's grieving over his daughter, and he stays outside in the graveyard. And then you hear from inside the church, they're singing a hymn, All things bright and beautiful, the Lord God made them all. I'm sure many people have heard that hymn. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's the PBS uh, series, what are they really saying, the, the, the producers who put this together? They're saying, you know, uh, how terrible. Darwin loses his child and they're going to church. Yeah. And they're singing about a God who made everything beautiful. There can't be a God. It's not beautiful. It's ugly. His daughter died, but you see, that's why sometimes I think those sorts of hymns need another verse. You know, all things marred and mutated. The Lord God judged them all. Or <laughs> uh, just, just, just to remind us that all things aren't bright and beautiful. They, all things were once bright and beautiful, and now we live in a world where we have beauty and ugliness, yep. where we have joy, uh, joy and sorrow, where we have life and death, which seems so contradictory. But it's only the Bible's history that explains it. It was right. all joy. It was, it was all beauty. Um, it was all life. But now it's a fallen world, and that's why Romans 8 says the whole of creation Groans, grows. Yeah. And, and it's also interesting that in Romans 8 we also read the verse that all things work together for good. Um,
0: to them that um, love God.
1: To, to them that love God. And here's the point, though, that I think is very important. I make this point in the book. A lot of people misunderstand that verse or misquote it. Often, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things
0: work, work together, together
1: for good. Right for good, like they because, did
0: with regard to uh, Jim Elliot and uh, the exactly the, the men killed, yeah, as missionaries. You know, uh, or Queen Esther and so on. Exactly. I think one of the you've explained a part of the situation, the conundrum that uh, millennials and Generation Z face, because they have largely abandoned the hope of the gospel. They do not have a biblical worldview or a God view. And so they look at the world, and they're being told that it's awful, that America's awful, that everything is awful. And so they're hopeless, and uh, they can't find an anchor for their souls. Uh, It's very difficult uh, they, they can't even live apart from their parents in many respects uh, because they can't launch. It's They call it a failure to launch. They can't get married. Everything looks dark and hopeless uh, because they don't have this broader sense, like you're describing, that, uh, yes, sin came into the world, and, yes, when you walk in sin, there's going to be unrighteousness. There's going to be a lot more pain than there normally would be. But if you'll walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he'll shed on your way. When you do his good will, he will abide with you still and with all who will trust and obey. And uh, so there are reasons why uh, suffering, rega- uh, many kinds of suffering are occurring in our world today, not just because of the sin of Adam, not just because we live in a fallen world in that sense, but because people refuse to obey God. And there are consequences for refusal to obey God, aren't there?
1: Oh, there certainly are consequences, because God is the Creator, and He's the one that has a right over us because He owns us, and He sets the rules. And if we disobey God, there are consequences. When Adam disobeyed God, there were consequences now there's going to be death. There's always consequences. There's consequences because of sin. And, and you know, there's another aspect of this, though, as you talked about, that younger generation, Generation mm-hmm, Z, mm-hmm. and so on, and, right. you know, less than 9% of Generation Z now attend church. And when, when you look at it, I believe there's been a great problem from the church, mm-hmm. because the majority of Christian leaders, not all, but certainly the majority, of Christian leaders, of Christian college professors, Bible college professors, seminary professors, we've even done research on this, the majority of them would believe in millions of years, say it doesn't matter what you believe about the age of the earth, uh, and you can believe in millions of years, and here's here's the problem. If you believe in millions of years, you believe the fossil record was laid down millions of years before man, and that really came out of atheism of the 1800s. The fossil record was laid down millions of years before man. The fossil record is a record of death, not just death, but there's diseases like cancer in the bones in the fossil record. And so generations of kids in our churches and Christian colleges, universities, um, the majority of them have been taught all the death and suffering you see today has gone on for millions of years, so you can understand they look at that and say, "Well, why should we believe God's word? Why should we exactly. obey God? Because this death—he's he, responsible for this." All right, Not friends, the book
0: *Divine there. Dilemma* is going to answer a lot of questions and give you hope. $18 will put this hardbound $20 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us. We'll
2: be right back. incredible but the same can be found right now go to save us.org and click sell church we can revive first century christianity for the 21st century it's about people not programs it's about a body not a building that's save us.org click sell church
0: welcome back to viewpoint friends we're talking with ken ham he is the founder of Answers in Genesis, also the uh, Creation Museum there in uh, Kentucky, and then also the Ark Encounter there in Kentucky. When the Ark Encounter opened up, uh, I purposed, Ken, I think I've told you this before, uh, I purposed to use that as an opportunity to celebrate Uh, our 50th wedding anniversary, my wife and I, Uh, and that year would have been our 50th. So I went out and I bought a very large vehicle so that I could transport our family. Uh, And so I took my grandchildren and family uh, to both of those locations there at the opening of the Ark. And uh, that's how we chose to use uh, whatever monies we were going to use to celebrate our uh, 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, it was a wonderful experience, that our our grandkids that were there uh, just loved it, uh, and it can t- continues to echo into their minds and hearts today. So, thank you very much.
1: Well, we uh, we love uh, people coming to the attractions because what we're doing there is helping them understand God's word. Make it, it even helps <clears throat> make it more real in a sense, even though it is real. It makes it come alive, that's probably the best way of saying it. Right. It makes the Bible come alive and uh, helps people understand the truth from God's Word to answer all these questions, and even questions like death and suffering uh, to answer that uh, as well, because it's very important that people understand uh, origins, understand the foundation from Genesis, and that's been attacked by the world today, sure. attacked by evolutionary ideas and so on. And people need those answers so that we can say, you know what, we can defend the Christian faith. And when when uh, secular media have often asked me, you know, what are you trying to do through the attractions, through the Ark and the Creation Museum? What's your major message? I said, well, it's very simple. The major message is this. The history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. And that's what it's all about, God's mm-hmm. history book. We've got, to, we've got to look at it. we got to understand God's history book that's the bible it's his history concerning this universe and we've got to understand that true history to understand who we are what our problem is understand why the world is the way it is and most of all what the solution is And the solution is in jesus christ
0: there you go there you go and i think uh one of the things that's missing uh people don't know how to grapple with uh God's expectations and desires for his own people, uh, particularly in this moment in time when it seems like all hell is breaking loose across the the world, the planet, and even in our own country. And uh, they don't understand the word trust. God is after uh, our trust. He doesn't want us just to believe in him. He wants us to believe him. And uh, so we have this uh, serious problem going on uh, where God's people really don't have a very good understanding of what it means to trust him. And I think that that's one of the, the lead purposes of this radio program is to help people learn how to trust God no matter what's going on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So. We don't know exactly how he's going to direct our path. We don't even know exactly why he's going to direct it. We just know that he will direct it, and if that involves suffering and so on, then that's part of it, which leads us to the Apostle Peter. You remember, uh, Ken, uh, when Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples in Matthew, I think it was chapter 16, about how he was going to, Uh, be persecuted, endure considerable suffering, and ultimately be killed. And Peter responded and said, Oh no, not not you, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. Peter could not grasp suffering to the Master. He could not grasp that that could be in God's ultimate uh, view uh, for the destiny of humankind. And Jesus turned around and rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You don't savor the things that be of God. Now, I think there's a lot of Peter's mind and heart that's in professing Christians today. What say you?
1: Well, you know, what we need to do is to make sure that we let God speak to us, and he speaks to us through his word. He's revealed himself to us through his word and to believe his word. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus uh, told the disciples what was going to happen. He gave them details, and they still didn't understand it. I, I think it's because we are looking at things from our own human perspective. You know, no, that doesn't that doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't make sense. That can't be it. No, God wouldn't do that. But if you look at his word, he, what, what happened is exactly what he said would happen. In fact, you know, uh, even the serpent, Bruising him and him crushing the head of the serpent. I mean, that mm-hmm. was that was prophesized back there in Genesis three fifteen, right? And even through the Old Testament and that that Peter would have had access to, uh, there's the promise of the Savior there. And yet they still didn't understand it. And uh, I think that's that's what we need to also recognize. It, it comes back to what we said about Job, where Job stood back and recognized, "You know all things. I don't. I need." to let you be God, and I need to listen to you, and let you tell me uh, what what truth is, and not me trying to decide for myself. And, you know, we, we've got that sinful heart. We are not neutral creatures. That's the other thing we've got to True. remember. You know, you're either for Christ or against. You walk in light or darkness. You gather or scatter. You build your house on the rock or the sand. We're, we're not neutral creatures. And so our heart is we don't want to believe God's Word. And that's, that's another part of the problem.
0: Oh, boy. Uh,
1: we have got to make sure we look to God's word and let Him speak to us.
0: See, now you've gone from preaching to meddling. When you say we don't want to do God's word, we don't really want to hear it, that's where our problem really is. And uh, without that, there will be no repentance. And without that, there will be no reconciling to God. Without that, we're going to continue to wander in sin and rebellion. And the Bible says that rebellion is just the sin of witchcraft, and so it leads us backwards rather than forwards because we just don't want to do what God says. And the reason we don't want to do it is because we don't trust him. Isn't that right?
1: That is right. And, you know, as an example for all of us, when God was talking to Cain, and you know that Cain killed his brother Abel, mm-hmm. and... God was talking to Cain, and we know that Cain had a heart problem. And God was saying to to Cain, sin desires you. Its desire is for you. It's contrary to you. Mm -hmm. It wants to master over you. And God was warning Cain, don't let sin master over you. You master over it. And he let it master over him. And what happened? He killed his brother Abel. We've all got that sin nature, and we haven't got to stop letting it master over us, we are got to make sure we master over it, and we can only do it through Christ. Uh, he promises that, you know, there's no temptation we can't overcome in Christ. That's why we have to look to Him every day, have to look at His Word every day. Your Your Word have I hid in my heart, so I might not sin against you. You know, um, the, the, the verse of Scripture you quoted earlier about trusting the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding is one of the verses my, my parents taught me to memorize, and mm-hmm. then... Uh, the, the other verse is, trust in the, uh, to um, your word have I hidden my heart yeah. that I might not sin against you, because my parents taught me, make sure that you always judge your feelings, your behavior, everything you do, think against the absolute authority of God's word, because anyone who trusts in man's wisdom is a fool, the Scripture says. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure we're trusting in God's word and judge everything against God's word. That's what we should always be doing. And, you know, with this whole issue of death and suffering... We've got to stop looking at it from, this doesn't make sense from my perspective. You know, why would God do this? I mean, we can we ask those questions, I understand that, but we've got to get to that position like Job and recognize, wait a minute, we don't know any anything compared to God. God's told me what happened. He's told me that, about this world. Where, you know, is there a point on a man wants to die? I, I'm reminded of Luke, where a tower fell on people, mm-hmm. the Tower of Siloam, and it killed 18. And Jesus asked the question, were they worse sinners than others, that this would happen to them? And then, and then his answer is this, repent. I mean, think about this. Jesus is saying, so why did these people die? Why did those 18 die? Were they worse sinners or something? They were dying. He says, repent. Because what he's really saying there is, that was their turn to die. I want to warn you, you're going to die. Everyone's going to die. Death is, is the penalty for sin. Instead of blaming God for that, instead of trying to trying to get out of it like Adam and Eve, we need to face up to it and recognize we are sinners. We sinned in Adam. We deserve nothing. God placed upon us the curse of death, but repent. He provided a way of salvation. Make sure you've repented. Make sure you've trusted the Lord, because the most important thing is that every single one of us uh, have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, so that when, not if, when we die, unless jesus comes back before that time mm-hmm. but when you die you will go to be with him and you can have that sure hope these things uh, have your uh, has revealed to us so we may know that we have eternal life
0: exactly well uh the interesting thing is that the scripture says it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance people look at the word repentance as a very negative word actually it's the most hope-filled word in the bible Because without it, there is no hope. And uh, so we need to understand that while we're still living. That's why I think uh, David said, uh, you know, teach me to number my days, that I'm going to incline my heart to wisdom because I don't know how long I'm going to live. You know, the days are appointed 70 years, maybe 80 by reason of strength. But uh, I want to make sure that while I am living, I'm doing what you would have me to do. I am what you would have me to be. And uh, I think that's what our orientation should be. And in the meantime, if we have suffered loss, if we've uh, had loved ones or others, we we take a look at the grief happening out there. Uh, Huge numbers of people losing their lives, uh, persecution rising dramatically across our world. The reality is Jesus said all these things were going to happen. The Apostle Paul yeah. warned about it. The Apostle Peter warned about it. The Apostle John warned about it. We were put on good notice, and therefore, those things are negative. They seem to be negative. But God is going to use those things. Even Peter resolved it all in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, saying, look, this is going to be ultimately inure to the glory of God and your eternal salvation. Stop lamenting and let's get busy living for christ i think that's the ultimate message isn't it
1: it is and i i put it in, a, in a, another way don't get angry at god get angry at our sin there you go and make sure you repent and put your faith and trust in christ because it's our sin that caused this problem exactly uh, and, and so don't blame god
0: don't blame God, friends. Don't blame God. Don't blame Ken Ham. Don't blame me. Uh, we're just uh, messengers. Uh, you can say Ken and I have been Hamming it up again, but this isn't uh, the kind of situation, the kind of subject It's very serious. It's very sobering. And, by the way, it's okay to grieve for a period of time. Yes. I mean, even Jesus wept. Jesus grieved. He even wept, but he didn't live in that, and neither should you. All right. We look forward Divine Dilemma is a hardbound $20 book, yours for $18. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, that's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. Ken, what you didn't know was that I'm in the midst of writing my 11th book called When Persecution Comes. It's coming very rapidly, and uh, I'm trying to encourage God's people, but also trying to help them accept the fact this is the real deal. This is exactly what our Lord said. Get ready, prepare, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, and I'm trying to teach them how to do that. So Ken, thanks so much for what you do uh, building that ark out there. Uh, did you in, did you get Noah to help you with that?
1: Uh, we got Noah's descendants to
0: help. Noah's him. descendants. I like that. <laughs> All right, my brother. It's good to know you. It's good to have you as a friend, a kingdom brother, and uh, keep pressing on out there. Hopefully, I'll get uh, some more people to get out there to the to the uh, Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Divine Dilemma, friends, become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to save America ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. The other guy is not doing it, so how about you joining with God? You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and hope.